In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are coming to the end of the church year. Next Sunday will be the, the last Sunday of the church year. So it's appropriate that this morning we get a reading from the very last chapter of the Old Testament. This chapter is about what God is going to do to set the world right. So in the book of Malachi in chapter 3, God's people began asking the question, where is the God of justice? They ask, why do the wicked prosper? Why is everything so hard for the righteous? Where is God? They want to know when God is going to finally and ultimately rid the world of sin and evil. When is the world going to be made right? Well, we don't know the date of when God is finally going to eliminate sin. We don't, as Christians, have an appointment on our calendar for this. We do know that when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, that he will put sin, death, and the devil under his feet. That's when. But we don't want to miss the fact that he has started his work already. His victory has already begun. And so the day of the Lord that Malachi writes of begins when Christ comes into this world. It begins at the incarnation of Christ. The prophecy that Malachi is writing in chapter 4 has already begun to come true for us. And so I want to say that when we look at Malachi chapter 4, we should see Jesus Christ. And more than that, we should see what Christ does in us and for us. First, Christ is the furnace of Malachi 4. The verse in Malachi 4 says, See, the day is coming, burning like an oven. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. When Christ entered history, he came as a consuming fire who reveals to us our sins. In fact, John the Baptist references this verse when he tells people about the coming Christ. John says, I baptize you with water, but after me comes one more powerful. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff like unquenchable fire. Christ has come to make clear that we are burnt up with sin. Christ, by his word and by his perfect holiness, shows us how far we are from God in our sin. And I find it interesting how Malachi pairs up sinners in our reading. He says that all the arrogant, all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble that is burnt up when Christ comes. And we should read that text and think, that's me. I am arrogant. I am the evildoer. Now, I know we don't like to think of ourselves as arrogant, but the scriptures make it clear that that's who we are. We're arrogant because we don't love, trust, and fear God above all else. Instead, we so often live to serve the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. That's the sin of Adam, the sin that we inherit when Adam breaks God's law not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam believes that he can be as God. He believes the lie that in himself he can be the source of his own life. He can be his own complete authority 
Adam decides he doesn't need God, he doesn't need God's word, he can do this life himself. And that sinful orientation to life will always bring us into spiritual despair. When pleasing ourselves and acting, acting only for ourselves, we can find life meaningless, that it gets shallow very quickly. Because we don't find peace in ourselves, we can't fix ourselves. And so in our arrogance, we so often quickly spiral into despair, into spiritual desolation. And we're arrogant because we so often make ourselves the center of the universe. We act out of selfish ambition. We so often want ease and convenience, comfort for ourselves only. We hate to be bothered with loving our neighbors as ourselves. And when we're arrogant in this way, when we act as evildoers, we end up burning our relationships as well. How often in our lives have we had conflict? How often have we caused strife or heartache? Because we have been arrogant. We have and we still do bring this division into our homes and into our relationships because so often we think of ourselves first and foremost. All of us are guilty of this. We have all treated others with contempt and with indifference. We are often unfair and impatient. And this causes pain in our homes and in our relationships. This arrogance is the opposite of faith. Because faith is trust and dependence on God as our Father. Faith recognizes that God provides everything for us. It's in trusting that in the words of the Catechism, God richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support the body and life. And that God richly and daily forgives me all my sins. These are not things that we do for ourselves. These are not things that we can do for ourselves. They are gifts given to us. Arrogance, then, is the belief that God does not do this for us, but that we do it for ourselves. Arrogance is the opposite of the gospel. Arrogance does not believe that God does it all for me in Christ. Arrogance hears God's word and says, that's not for me, that doesn't apply to me. Arrogance says, I can ignore this particular commandment in God's word. It says, God doesn't care if I break this one little commandment. But it's that arrogance that puts us onto the road of destruction. And we as arrogant evildoers are the chaff that get, gets burnt up with sin. We become like ashes. And that's exactly why we put ashes on our heads on Ash Wednesday. We mark ourselves with a visible reminder that left to our own devices, we have no hope. We have no hope and we'll just return to the dust. Because the way of sin leads to ashes. The way of sin leads to us burning everything to the ground. Our reading from Malachi, however, doesn't end with ashes. It ends with the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah makes a beautiful reference to this verse right after his son, John the Baptist, is born. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. Zechariah describes Christ coming into the world as the dawn from on high breaking upon us. 
the light has come to dispel the darkness. And here, the sun, the sun which burns much hotter, which blazes much hotter than any oven could, rises not to burn us. It doesn't come to turn us into ash, but the sun rises to heal us. And that's the good news of the coming of Christ. Christ has come to raise us from sin and death. This is the good news that we'll sing about in a few weeks on Christmas. Right? Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Christ comes to give us life out of the ashes. We, in our arrogant evil doings, have burnt so much to the ground. We have made a wreck of our lives so often. We have caused heartache. We have separated ourselves from God. But Christ has come to raise and to heal. Like the mythological phoenix, we are raised from the ashes and we're united to God and to one another. Christ becomes the second Adam for us and he resets the trajectory of our eternity. We ourselves, left to our sinful devices, would be nothing but ashes. Christ, however, lives perfectly for us and takes our sins unto himself. And he is raised by God in victory. Christ is our victory. And he makes possible for us to live with God. He makes it possible for us to put our neighbors before ourselves. He makes healing in our relationships possible. And so the people in Malachi ask, where is the God of justice? Well, we point to Christ. There he is. We point to what Christ has done on the cross. There's God's justice satisfied. There it is revealed. And we point to Christ and we say, there is our healing. There is the son of righteousness. Christ's work is finished, but it's not yet completed in us as we all know. Yes, we are all still sinners, but Christ is coming again. As we get to the end of the church year and into Advent, we're going to be invited over and over to remember that truth, that Christ will come again. And so right now we live in two worlds. The light has begun to dispel the darkness in us and in the world, but not yet completely. The Spirit is making us holy. The Spirit is healing our relationships even now but we are still sinners. We live now both as righteous and as evildoer. However, there's coming a day when we will no longer be sinners because sin will no longer exist. There is coming a day when death no longer exists, when suffering no longer exists, that all of these things will be burnt up into nothingness. My family's favorite vacation spot is on the beach, and so we usually go to the East Coast. We usually go to North Carolina. And so one thing Noel and I like to do is to wake up before the kids get up. We like to get our coffee and sit on the deck and watch the sunrise over the ocean. And the beauty of that is like nothing else. But if you watch a sunset closely and you have kind of that unimpeded view of the ocean, you'll notice that the rays of light break through the darkness before the sun is ever visible. The light begins to dispel the darkness, and there's this period between first light and sunrise that sometimes seems like it takes forever, 
as the light begins to trickle out over the land. But then, all of a sudden, the sun is up. And then all of a sudden, all of the darkness is dispelled. And then all of a sudden, the orange sun glows warmly and radiantly over the water. Well, that's what we're waiting for. We wait for the day when the sun of righteousness will fully and finally dispel all darkness. We wait for the day when all grief is gone, all relationships are healed. We wait for the day when sin is no longer a struggle for us. We wait to see the Son of Righteousness risen with healing in his wings. Amen.